It was a hot summer afternoon and my phone began to ring. And as I looked at the phone, I realized that it was a phone call from a young lady who we had been working with uh, from the local school, the alternative site. And she was calling, asking for help. She had said, I'm going through some things. I needed somebody to talk to. So Patty and I, we went to her home. We conducted a home visit. And when we arrived, we climbed up to the stairs, um, led us into a small apartment. As soon as we walked in, we saw her half-naked, drunken, and passed-out uncle face into the sofa. When we walked a little bit further into the home, we saw her drug-addicted brother with his face inches away from the screen on a good one. And he didn't even know that we were there. She eventually led us to her dinner table where we sat. And when I turned to look over my shoulder, I saw her mother in the restroom in the hallway doing her makeup, getting ready to go out for the evening. And she yelled at the top of her lungs, didn't I tell you not to bring those people here? I looked across the table at Patty and I just kind of shook my head. And then I looked at the young lady and I, I went to put my stuff down on the table, the dinner table, and I realized there was like this thick of guck and filth that was plastered all over the dinner table. So I put my things on my lap and I asked the young lady, what is it that you needed? Why did you call us here today? And she just broke down crying hysterically, uncontrollably. And in all my years working with young people, it was the longest I've ever seen somebody cry. I'm not kidding. She cried for about an hour. And all we could do was weep with her. She was crying from the pit of her stomach, such pain and suffering. You, you could sense that she was going through. We embraced her and we prayed over her. And we asked her once again, why is it that you called us here? And she was able to control herself for the first time. And she, she shared with us that she said, look around this place. I want something different for my life. I want to change. I want to do better. And we said, you know what? God has a purpose and a plan for you and trust and believe that God will elevate you out of places like these and you will fulfill the promise that exists in you. God has created you for such great things. We gave her a Bible, a journal, and over the next couple of weeks, we checked in with her every day doing devotion. You see, church, what I want you to understand today is that when we expose ourselves to the brokenness of others, and when we expose ourselves to the brokenness of the city, it helps us to realize our own brokenness and our need for Christ. I left that place and I wept when I got into my car. As I walked away, I began to think about moments in my life when I was just as desperate and crying out to be rescued by my Savior. I remembered private prayer times when I was crying out to the Lord to change things in my life. And I remembered personal prayers when I had asked God to use my life to be a blessing to others who were in need. If you don't know who I am, my name is Eric Vasquez and I've been on staff for a little while now, but I'm still somewhat of a new face. I have the privilege of leading um, our local missions department. And, and my family and I, we've lived in the city here for a long time and we've been serving in the city for a long time. Un under that local missions umbrella, uh, we oversee a lot of things. And we're very thankful and humbled to be a part of that stuff here at Purpose Church. In addition to being the local missions pastor, um, I also serve as the founder 
and director, executive director of a nonprofit organization called Justice for Youth. It is a mentoring and restorative justice agency that exists to serve at Promise Youth across the counties. I'm very blessed to be a part of that work. That work is a non-faith-based effort and it's a non-Christian effort. And I get to, in that organization, um, kind of rub shoulders with people that don't believe like me, don't have the same Christian values as me. Uh, so I really see it as a place where I can be salt and light. And, and I've been able to impact so many youth over the years in the work of that organization. Um, I'm also the president of a Christian missions nonprofit called True Impact. And, and we do a lot of great local and foreign outreach and missions work through True Impact. And, you know, that's another thing I get to do. And the final thing I'm going to mention here is uh, I have the privilege of coaching uh, the, the boys varsity basketball team at Ganesha. And I know some of my Ganesha families are watching online. So what's up, everybody? Shout out to you. Go Giants, man. Um, that's something that I'm passionate about and, and I get to also, you know, leverage my influence and, and really rub shoulders with and be salt and light with a lot of the folks that I'm serving. Um, you know, even though I do all of those things, I'm here today as a, a servant of the Most High God, as a minister of the gospel, and I count it a blessing uh, to be with you. So I wanted to just share a little bit about our new series uh, called Living in Rhythm. And we have subtitles, committing, praying, loving. Uh, over the next few weeks, as we commit to reading and studying the book of Nehemiah, we will lead you in a discussion around immersing ourselves in the city and into the lives of others. And here at Purpose Church, you know, we've been praying and we've been sensing God doing something new in us. We sense that he is moving our hearts more locally. And we are, we're feeling more burdened to care for our immediate community. And, and in addition to spreading out wide, as we've done over the years, we believe that God is asking us to drill down deeper into our city in this season of our church history. And every effort that we're doing here at Purpose has an emphasis on evangelism and discipleship. And we've been putting a lot of effort into that church-wide to ensure that we're being faithful in that work to evangelize and disciple. So I'm excited for this series. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the book of Nehemiah. And we're just going to read an opening verse out of chapter one, verse three. The word of the Lord says this. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Lord, would you be with us today? We thank you for your word. We ask you that you would speak to us through your word and that we would respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now I wanna give you a little bit of the context of this book of Nehemiah. The story of Nehemiah is set after the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem and its temple. They took many Israelites into exile for some 70 years. And the book tells of the return of some of those Israelites to Jerusalem. And it tells about what happened as they began to rebuild the city and rebuild their lives. The book focuses on the efforts of Nehemiah who began to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah, he came after Ezra, who was another key Christian leader that laid the spiritual foundation once again for God's people. Here, 
we find Nehemiah working in the Persian government as an Israelite official. And while there, he hears about the ruin of Jerusalem and its walls, and he is greatly moved by the news. As we read through Nehemiah, over the next few weeks, we're going to focus on particular aspects of the scripture and of Nehemiah's life and leadership. Today, uh, as I'm with you this morning, I want to share with you a few things that really struck me about Nehemiah as I was studying the scriptures and his story. These things he was committed to, deeply committed to. He was a man of integrity. And the things that I'm going to share with you today, I want to challenge you as a church to consider committing to the same things. So as a church, I want to ask that you would say this with me. We at Purpose Church shall commit to, firstly, being acutely aware of brokenness. In Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 through 3, the Bible says, And Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survive the exile, those that are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. I want you to understand that. See that highlighted. That's so important. Nehemiah's here. He's, he's getting a report of his people and he understands that they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned. For me, when I was studying this uh, story, I, I could imagine Nehemiah when he first hit this news, got this news, man. You know, he's working in, in the Persian government. He's in a high place. And then he hears of such horrendous news. Immediately, Nehemiah understood the grave condition of the people and of the situation. He understood that the nation had been destroyed and their walls were still in rubble. And the people of God were still in danger and in a severely vulnerable place because with the walls broken down, any enemy can come and attack them once again. There was a spirit of hopelessness over the city and the people and Jerusalem was a ghost town that was in threat of being completely forgotten. But Nehemiah, he knew that this was the land that God had promised to his people and he held on to that promise. Now, just as Nehemiah knew that, we know that God has uniquely placed us, Purpose Church, here in the city of Pomona. He has promised that this would be a place where we would dwell and we would thrive as a church. The city of Pomona has gone through years of transformation but there are still places in the city where our walls are essentially broken down. But just like Nehemiah, I believe that God is a master at turning the rubble of our cities and the rubble of our lives into places of renewal and revival and redemption. And I want to remind you of something this morning that I immediately remembered as I was reading the scripture. And that is that you ain't got to be from the city of Pomona to have love for the city. You know, Nehemiah had never been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah was born in captivity. He was born in Babylon, yet he had a connection with the city and he had an affinity for the people. Now, many of you, you don't necessarily reside in the city like I do, and yet you still come to Purpose Church and you call this place your home. 
And I hope that you also have an affinity for the city and an affinity for the people. And if you don't, through these next couple of weeks, my prayer is that God would move you to that place. And this is kind of associated to my story. You know, when I first came to Pomona, I was 18 years old, man, a young buck. And, and I felt God calling me to, to follow him radically. And I, I was so green and I was so like fervent and, and zealous. And I didn't know like where I was going or what I was doing. But some lady, she prayed over me and she gave me a word, of, a word of prophecy. She said, you know, youngster, in five days, I know you're looking for a place to kind of reside and dwell. In five days, the Lord's going to give you a place. And that will be where you will do your ministry. And I was tripped out, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to believe that and hold on to that. And sure enough, dude, in five days, I locked it in with the real estate friend of mine who was helping me. And I was on the north side of Gary on Gary and Arrow just behind Johnny's Burger. And it was there that I began to do ministry. And when I came to the city and I began my ministry in the city, I became aware of the brokenness of the city. Of course, I had an affinity for the people I fell in love with Pomona, but I became acutely aware of this brokenness. My question to you this morning is, in what ways are you becoming aware of the brokenness of the city? It's so important for you to be acutely aware if you call yourself a member here at Purpose Church because God is a God of the city and he placed us here to be a blessing to the community. How do we become aware of brokenness? I prescribe to you that we do that in three ways. We become aware by listening, by seeing, and by experiencing. You know, over the next couple of weeks, I'm so excited. My team has put a lot of work into this. You've gotten this Living in Rhythm immersive experience booklet as you came into uh, church today or online. You can go on our website at uh, purposechurch.com slash uh, living, right? When you go there, you're going to see the PDF version of this. And this will detail uh, and invite you into an, an immersive experience where we move into the city. We have selected 10 locations and over three weeks, we are inviting all of you into the city to immerse yourself in the city, to listen, to see, and to experience what God is up to in the city but to also immerse ourselves in the brokenness of the city. Over the next three weeks, I know that some of that, uh, that challenge is going to cause us to be a little uncomfortable, but as you're going to hear me talk about in just a moment, it's our prayer that you would take that challenge. Because here at Purpose Church, we believe before we can be used greatly, we believe that we must be broken greatly. Our prayer is that through this immersive experience, that something would bother you as you're out in the city. That as you're walking the routes that are suggested, as you're going to the events that we're recommending, as you're being amongst the people and you're more acutely aware of what's going on and what God's up to and, and how the enemy is trying to thwart everything that God's doing, our prayer is that some injustice, some brokenness would bother you deeply. Too many Christians are suffering from complacent lives because they ain't bothered by something. Our prayer is that you would get you a burden. You see, church, a burden is a strong desire that leads us towards purpose. A burden is something that would change the course of your life. 
A burden is an impregnation of a divine agitation. It is a grief that arrests the human heart and the human spirit. A burden is a weight of deeper calling, a snatching from comfort to commission. Some of us are just skipping through our Christianity with no real sense of brokenness for anything outside of ourselves. So I ask you this morning, what are you burdened for? Some of you may say, I'm burdened for single mothers. Some will say, I'm burdened for addicted men. I'm burdened for at-promise youth in urban inner city environments. I'm burdened for the unsheltered or for the fatherless or for the lost. God is searching this morning for hearts that he can impregnate with a burden. My prayer, my deep prayer is that you would get you a burden. You know, the one thing I love about our God is he's always such a perfect example for us in the way of, of the life that he's challenging us and inviting us to live. The gospel message tells me that God himself was acutely aware of our brokenness, that God himself had a burden for us, that he foresaw our brokenness and shame, and he designed a way for us to be healed and saved. So Jesus was immersed in this broken world, and he was broken greatly for us. His body was broken for you and for me. And he saw our great trouble and shame, and he became a sacrifice for us so that we could be reconciled to the Father. He shed his pure blood, and because of the shedding of his blood, we now have forgiveness of our sins, and we can lean into his mercy and his grace. And this was all motivated by his great love for us. Purpose Church, we shall commit to being acutely aware of brokenness. Secondly, that we should commit to lamenting for others and the city. In Nehemiah chapter four, the word of the Lord says this, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, repeat after me, church. And when we heard these things, what things are we hearing in the city? We're hearing that there are so many people separated from God. When we heard that there's an increase of poverty in inner city spaces that are densely populated. When we heard that there's nothing in our community to support children in their development ages zero to five. When we heard that churches in the community are not preaching the gospel or serving the community. When we heard that youth at young ages are being recruited to gangs and they're dying in their youth due to gang violence. When we heard of the spiritual condition of the people, of the moral and spiritual decadence, when we heard that people were going hungry and naked without showers or clothing, when we heard that there's a huge fentanyl problem in the community and many, many lives are being lost to it. Church, we want you to get a burden. In these immersive experiences, we want you to listen, see, and experience. We want you to be acutely aware of that. And then we want you to lament over those things. A few years ago when the pandemic hit, there was such a homeless crisis 
transitional age youth were coming to me and, and I had nowhere to put them. I gutted our bus and we put cots in the bus so that they could sleep there. And it moved me to be about this, right? I went to my board. I said, man, I got all these youngsters living in my bus. We can't do this. This isn't sustainable. And they made a move to secure locations just across the street where we have a woman's shelter. And then we secured a duplex where we had a men's shelter, a young men's shelter. So that burden moved me to action. I also heard recently of a foundation called Mama Safi with my friend Everlyn. And she told me that in Kenya, there are so many disabled children that are going without care. And when I heard those things, I wept and I mourned and I fasted and I prayed. Nehemiah, he cared. He did not say that that's somebody else's problem. He lamented. Now, lamenting is not the same as crying. It's, it's a little bit different and it's uniquely Christian. The Bible itself is filled with songs of sorrow. Over a third of the Psalms are laments. The book of Lamentations, it weeps over the destruction of Jerusalem. And even Jesus lamented in his final hours. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There's a quote that a friend recently sent me. And it said this, the same Bible that tells us to rejoice always has a book called Lamentations. We don't have to choose one from the other. Good, healthy Christian faith is non-individualistic, able to hold multiple tensions together. Lamenting is more than just an expression of sorrow or the venting of emotions. Lamenting talks to God about the pain and the suffering. And lamenting has a unique purpose, the end goal is that we would trust in God. And it is a divinely given invitation to pour out our own fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us to renew our confidence in God. When I studied the book of Nehemiah, I identified six elements of lament that I want to share with you today. And we saw them as we were reading through the scripture. The first one is weep and mourn over what we heard, saw, and experienced. The second one, turn to God with our pains, our sorrows, offering them up to him, bringing our complaints to him that we would express honestly how we feel to him about the brokenness and injustices that we've experienced, that we would ask boldly God for help, petitioning him for his divine assistance, that we would choose to trust yielding to his power and ability and trusting him with everything that we have waiting on him. And then lastly, praying and fasting, committing to consistently bringing our struggles and our trials and our sorrows to him. Next week, our very own pastor Glenn, our senior pastor is going to go a lot deeper on praying and fasting but in Nehemiah chapter 4, I just want to highlight a few things about Nehemiah's prayer. He says, for some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And if you were to kind of browse verses 5 through 11 as I'm talking now, I want you to open your Bibles, right? We begin to see in those verses, particularly in verse 5, the prayer starts out with a very desperate cry. He says, oh Lord, the God of heaven. He says, hear my prayer. 
as, as you look at verses 5 through 11, as I did, I started asking myself, well, what happens in the place of prayer? What is God doing in us and through us as we enter into that place of prayer while we're lamenting? Nehemiah, when you read those scriptures, he began to humble himself before God. He began to worship God in his prayers. He emptied himself with honest conversation and he allowed God to deal with his own brokenness and the brokenness of his people and the city. He reminded himself in the prayer and he reminded God of his own promises. He prayed for favor and he received clarity. And the clarity that he received, the clarity that comes after lamenting can only be given to us by God. Nehemiah's clarity was that he would commit, as we will, to understanding the kingdom implications of our positions and our influences. Let's take a look a little bit deeper at the last six words in verse 11b of Nehemiah as he prays. He says this, Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Look at the last six. I was cupbearer to the king. So after a time of being acutely aware of the brokenness and hearing the report of the walls in Jerusalem and the people and the vulnerable state that they were in, after lamenting and crying and mourning and pouring that out to God in prayer, bam, then came clarity. And the Lord spoke to him and Nehemiah began to understand that he was in the right place at the right time. And now, because basking himself in prayer, he had the right mindset. Church, maybe you've been questioning or wondering about this, but I want to tell you this good news today, that God has you right where he wants you to be. God has you right where he wants you to be. Don't doubt that. There are kingdom implications connected to your divine placement. Maybe you might not have seen it before today, but I'm here to tell you that that's true. But after you spend time immersed in the brokenness of others, and after you spend time in prayer, you too will receive clarity as to why God has you where you are. Currently, I have a lot of roles. You heard me say that a little bit earlier. God has put me in a place, gave me access to resources and leaders. He's given me a voice in different spaces where I can advocate for the most vulnerable young people. I work with the county. I serve as a pastor. I'm a main partner of a school district. I'm a father and a youth worker. I am in the right place at the right time with the right mindset. Nehemiah was an Israelite official living in the capital city of Persia. He was working in the palace in a place of prominence. He was someone important of high stature. And I tripped out because this wasn't the first time that God did something like this. God had a history of elevating Israelites in foreign lands during their exile and all for the purpose of the redemption of his people. We saw that in Esther. We saw that in Daniel. We see that in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God's sovereign placement led his people to redemption. And Nehemiah was a man of integrity. And that was important. Our Christian witnesses are so important. Where God has us for us to be integral 
is important. Nehemiah was trusted by the king as his cupbearer to keep him guarded from death and threat. If you don't know what a cupbearer is, these are the cats that are avoiding a poisonous attack on the king. They're sipping the, the tea. They're tasting the food before it hits the king's mouth, right? I mean, this cat was trusted. He was in a high place. He was right behind the king at the table of the king. He was in the right place at the right time with the right mindset. He found favor in the eyes of the king. Let's take a little bit of a deeper look in Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 through 9 about how he began to understand the implications of his position and influence. This is what the word of the Lord says. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence ever before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of trans Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, Nehemiah says, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. Man, Nehemiah began to use his position and influence to be sparking a catalyst to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. At Purpose Church, we commit to use our purpose, our position, and our influence to do these things. Number one, share the burden. In verse three, the scripture says this, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? Its gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah used the opportunity with his favor with the king to share the burden that he had caught. The second thing, he wanted to provoke inquiries. In verse four, we see the king say, what is it that you want? He was curious. His posture, his, his stature, it, it provoked the king to ask questions about what was bothering him. Verse six, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? He also very diplomatically understood how to align interests. He wisely understood and knew the king intimately. 
He approached him with respect and he asked for things that were connected to the king's heart. He leveraged uh, relationships and resources and leadership. In verse seven, the, verse, uh, the Bible says this, if it pleases the king, and then he goes on to say, give me letters to governors for safe travel. Give me letters for timber, for beams, for gates. And here's the crazy thing. I, I underline this because I'm like, this dude had enough boldness. He understood his position and influence so much so that he even asked for timber for his own crib. This dude was building himself a pad. He knew he was going to have to be out there doing the work of God, having to have shelter. Like he asked big, you know? I respect that dude for that, man. I love how he was able to use his position and influence. And I ask you today, how are you using your positions and influence for kingdom advancement and implication? When I look at the gospel message, I understand that God fully understood what this meant. Jesus, his son, the king of kings, the only son of God, the second part of the Holy Trinity, the one who's at the right hand of the Father, the holy and sinless Lamb of God. He understood his high position and influence so much so that he decided to condescend to us, to live amongst us, and then to die for us. Jesus gave up his position and used his influence for our reconciliation with the Holy Father. And now, because of what Jesus has done, I have access to God. Because of Jesus's choice to walk into an immersive experience in this broken world for broken people, he made a way for me to be whole and for me to be made righteous with God. And I'm so grateful for his sacrifice and I'm so indebted to him and, and I know I've had private time with my father and I've said, Lord, because of your great love for me, because of your sacrifice, Jesus, my life is now yours. Use me for whatever you see fit. And that is the commitment that we say today as a church. We shall commit to being available to going on mission with God. In Nehemiah chapter two, verse five, the Bible says, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city. Say that with me, church. Let him send me to the city. Could it be that God is looking to send you to the city of Pomona? Could it be that God is wanting you to be acutely aware of the brokenness of this city? Nehemiah was sensing God sending. After prayer, he was actively pursuing the mission of God. He made himself available to go. He was willing to drop everything. And I invite you today to allow your lives to be interrupted. I invite you to practice saying yes to God, to anticipate his leading. And I invite you to detach yourself from materialism. We commit as a church to doing life with fam, with brothers and sisters who are committed to the cause of Christ. In Nehemiah chapter one, verses one through two, the Bible says this, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, 
Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. Hanani and some other men. Who is your Hanani? Who are your homies who you're riding with in this Christian life and on this Christian mission? Christian community is vital for growth and for mission. And here at Purpose Church, we understand that big is important, but also small is important. In small groups of community of Christian believers, like-minded people of faith who are willing to walk with one another, to be about the mission together. And we want to be clear that the mission is to make disciples that we would seek and save with God that which is lost and that we would make disciples. Here's the last section of my talk today, that we would commit as believers to raising support to rebuild the city. In Nehemiah chapter two, verse five through eight, the Bible says, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take? And when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive at Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park. And we already know this cat asked, for timber for his pad, <laughs> right? I mean, he was committed to use his position and influence to raise support to rebuild the city. The culture of people responding to the gospel in Christendom these days is shifting. The culture in Christendom is moving away from a mega movement to a micro movement. And I want to invite you today as we commit to raising support to rebuild the city to invest in the micro. If you don't know, now you know. My boy Biggie, right? What he did, not Biggie, but <laughs> what we're doing here at Purpose Church is we are investing in microsites. We are going deep down into our city and we are moving to the toughest places, the darkest places of our city, on the north, on the south, on the east, on the west, and all across, we have big vision to start neighborhood movements, home churches, microsites where young people and old people, people that are grown, let me say grown, not old, right? So I don't get myself in trouble. And people that are young can gather together, hear the gospel, and be discipled. I want to shout out Mike and Ruby, who's leading Angela Chancellor Microsite on the West. It's a young movement of beautiful children. I want to shout out Louis and Teresa Controla. They're leading the West Side Microsite, which is a Spanish-speaking group on the West Side, family-focused. I want to shout out Josie and the squad, who's leading the North Side at my home of our Microsite. And I want to shout out Pastor Miguel and Nelia, who is leading here on campus our Spanish ministry, Comunidad Esperanza, they're faithful servants in investing in the micro. Do you know that it takes only $7,000 to launch a microsite? Man, a church plant is hundreds of thousands of dollars, and that's important, and we're still about that good work. But to launch a microsite is only $7,000. 
to raise support, to rebuild the city, we invite you to feed the hungry. And what we do here at Purpose Church under the local ministry umbrella is we have community meals. And I want to shout out people who've made that possible. We serve the unsheltered community, any community members who are in need, a warm meal. We offer showers. We offer napping stations, prayer stations, charging stations, clothing stations. They get hooked up fat. It takes $250 per Saturday to conduct a community meal. And if you do that all the way out, if you do the math, it only takes $12,000 to amplify those efforts so that we can host community meals on Purpose Church campus every Saturday of the month. That we would commit to raising support and rebuilding the city by clothing the naked. We have a clothing closet here that has a rich history of serving the community. It's been around for a long time. And shout out to Judy and the squad of volunteers who have faithfully been serving. I, I hope I'm doing this right. For 30 years, Judy has been serving at the clothing closet. We clothe the naked and we host the stranger. Shout out to Support Solutions. If you look back at that video clip, you're going to see eventually we, we show a clip of uh, a large trailer that is now parked on Purpose Church's campus. That mobile shower trailer has three units, one ADA size unit, two individual size units. And we rebuild the city by caring for those who are strangers, who need supports like those. In order to buy another trailer like that, it's $75,000. What an investment, right? To get another trailer and host more showers in the community at more locations. We want to care for the sick, right? We want to rebuild our community by caring for the sick. Country Oaks is a partner of ours where they will train at no cost of our people, folks to be cleared with the certificate to provide care to those who are in need. And they are guaranteed after a 10-week training and passing the test, a job at a reasonable wage. And, and that's something that we're excited about doing here at Purpose Church. And the last two, we want to commit to visiting the prisoner. Shout out to Ron and Tanya Copeland from our local team and, and uh, Nora Jacob from our local team who are faithful in going into the prisons. We lastly want to educate and disciple the next generation. And we do that through PYC. Carrie Powers and the squad, the faithful squad of volunteers have been discipling and educating these children for many, many years. And we look forward to continuing that ministry. And I want to thank you, Purpose. I want to thank you for your generosity because every week when you give, every week when you give, you give to these ministries and you make these things possible. And I want to say thank you too, because when you give to Purpose Church, you make a way for people like me to be on staff and to have a dope job. And that somebody who's passionate about advancing the kingdom locally, I thank you for supporting us and this ministry here. Let me end by praying over you. Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity that we've had this morning to hear your word. I pray that many hearts would catch a burden and that we would be moved by the brokenness, that we would lament and we would commit to being on mission with you, Father, and that we would trust you completely and wholly to take us to the place where you would stretch us and deepen our faith so that we would be a blessing to your children here in the city of Pomona. 
We pray these things in your name. Amen.